Welcome to Mr. and Mrs. Therapy. We're your hosts, Tim and Ruth Olson, licensed marriage and family therapists and trauma experts. We provide wisdom for personal growth and healthy relationships. Stick with us and you'll gain practical tools and insights that will help you be a healthier and happier you. Hey everyone, welcome back. We're so excited that you're here today. Today we're going to be talking about the pursuer-distancer relationship and the cycle that happens in conflict. What this is, is that often one person in the relationship, when there is conflict, will pursue and want to discuss it and talk about it and work through it. And the other person will shut down and distance. And so this creates a sort of a dance. Whereas the person distances, the pursuer pursues them even more. And oftentimes this is an aggressive pursuit. This person shuts down and doesn't want to talk about it. So this person continues to pursue. And as they pursue, this person continues to distance even more and more. Now, the interesting part about this dynamic is it starts off at the mindset. And so the person who is a pursuer, their mindset is, we need to talk about this so that we can resolve this problem and move forward. The person, however, who is the distancer, their view is, when we talk about these things, I'm opening myself up to get hurt. And so these two different mindsets cause us to have two very different patterns of behavior when we're trying to talk through conflict. So back when Ruth and I first got married, we weren't lucky enough to have heard about all the research that goes into this distancer-pursuer relationship. And so we were actually working on discovering this for ourselves. And so when we first got married, I remember we got into this conflict one time where she wanted to talk about a problem and the discussion started to feel uncomfortable to me. So I started to distance and then to stonewall. And then Ruth, do you remember what she said to me as a response? I think I said something like, I would rather you scream and yell at me than to shut me out or block me out. And although we don't scream and yell in our relationship, I think for me, I was thinking I would prefer that because I would still have some sort of connection to him and we would still be in the middle of a discussion where it would seem like maybe we're moving the ball forward. Even though it would be very unhealthy, I felt like that was better than him shutting me out and me feeling helpless. Like there's nothing I can say or do to change this. And my perspective on that is if I continue to say something, I'm opening myself up to more hurt. And so with those two different perspectives, it puts us at odds and it makes the discussion very difficult to move it forward. And I remember when she said, I'd rather you scream at me what the problem was, thinking in my head in that moment, why can't I tell you? I just felt like this block. It wasn't like I was actively choosing not to say something. I literally felt like I just can't say anything right now. But I was unaware of why that was the case. And it wasn't until a couple of years later that it finally dawned on me. I I actually remember the exact spot I was when I realized what it was, why I couldn't say it. And the reason why I couldn't say it was because I didn't feel safe to. I felt like if I'm going to say something and it's going to be challenged, why do I want to say something at all? And I think the difference is people who are distancers saying something or engaging into conflict is very costly. It takes a lot more energy and effort for them. Not to say it doesn't take any energy or effort for somebody who is a pursuer, but it takes less. And so when a distancer is engaging into those discussions and those conflicts, they run out of juice and batteries much more quickly than the person who's a pursuer. And the end result is that when a pursuer challenges the distancer on something that the distancer said, they're more likely to want to bow out because they're like, I'm tapped. I can't keep going anymore. Right. So this would have been the perfect place where I could have implemented what we talked about a couple of weeks ago 
the idea of love where instead of being this reactive unsafe place for him to bounce ideas or problems off of I could have been a safe place for him where I really listened to him I understood and then I validated him in what he was feeling because I think as we discussed it later he talked about well, if I had shared this with you, you would have told me why I was wrong or why it wasn't okay to feel that way. And a lot of that is my own issues and my own tendency to get defensive so quickly and defend myself and say why that wasn't why I meant that. But my heart is never to say, no, you can't feel that way or you can't say that. But when I say why that wasn't my intention without validating first, it comes off as him being wrong. And I think the very interesting thing about this is that if she's challenging me on something, she may 100% be correct in her challenge. But because what that has a tendency to do is flare off a negative emotional response in me and that desire to run... It's not being very effective. Going back to this love tool we taught in the other podcast, making sure you validate your partner's feelings and what they're saying. It's not necessarily agreeing with them, but letting them know, like, I can totally see why you think or feel that way. That makes sense. And then that allows them, when you later then challenge what they think, that it doesn't feel like they're being attacked or it doesn't feel like you're being defensive. It's just you're now giving a different perspective, even if you say basically the exact same words. But that validation piece is an important part for the person who is the distancer to stay engaged in the conversation. Right. And I can see why this created that cycle for us is because I would get defensive and I was in a safe place for you. So you would distance and not share things with me. So then I would feel anxious because I want to talk about this and I know there's something wrong. And so I would pursue more and then you would shut down and distance more and then it would just continue on that way. And this happened for the first several years of our marriage. And it was really frustrating to be in this cycle and not know how to get out of it. One of the reasons this is so important is that research shows that people who get caught up in this cycle early on in their marriage and don't change it, they are 80% more likely to get divorced than people who don't engage in this pattern or are able to change this. So for the most part, the pursuer is going to be the one that feels most of the distress in this. So as we talk about how to address this and how to escape this pattern, we want to make sure that the changes that you are enacting are driven by a desire to be a better partner, not to change your partner or get some instant result from them. And really this applies to any of the tools that we present to you. When we talk about the love bank or the love tank, we'll talk about love languages in the future, using scripts, all these things. Yes, we want change and we want to see a difference in the relationship, but if you can come from a place of, I want to be a better partner, I want to know their personality, I want to know their love language so I can love them better, then the changes that happen in your partner will be an overflow because of the changes you made, not the goal of your changing. It's also important to look at your expectations during this, that if the changes that you're making are dependent on the response of your spouse, that's not going to work. Because what you'll see there is that you'll begin to make these changes for a short time period and you won't see the change in your spouse immediately and then you're going to stop. But as you begin to change because you want to learn to love them better and meet their needs, then eventually over time, our hope is that they're going to start shifting and changing. And so the mindset is do what's right because it's right, not because it has a benefit, even though what we are saying is that you're likely to get a benefit from it. So the question is, how do we change this dynamic? Either person can work at changing it 
and it's going to cause the other person to be much more likely to respond differently. So for example, if the distancer wanted to change the dynamic and they wanted to stop being pursued so much, they could then in turn start pursuing and bring up the conflict more frequently. And then the pursuer, if they wanted to shift the dynamic, they might have a problem that they want to talk about. They could bring it up to their partner and say, hey, I want to talk about this. Let me know when you're ready. And so then they back off and then allow the distancer partner to then pursue and bring up the conflict when they're feeling more comfortable. But because they've been basically primed by being told that there is something that wants to be discussed, but now the ball is in their court to choose when to discuss it. Now they have the opportunity to pursue. And then the person who tends to be the pursuer is going to then feel like, okay, now I'm getting them to actually bring up these problems to me. So part of it is just recognizing which partner you are and then trying to shift that dynamic in a different direction so that you can then get a better result at the end. So what I want to tell now is a little bit of a story about how I switched from being a distancer into a pursuer. And believe me, this was no easy task. It took me great amounts of effort and emotional capital to be able to shift this dynamic, but it made all the difference when I did. So I remember one day I was listening to the psychologist and he was being interviewed and the interviewer was asking him, you know, isn't it okay to tell a little white lie to your partner to avoid a conflict if it's not a big deal or a big issue, but you just don't want to spend the time or energy hashing something out with them? And I remember the psychologist thought, well, no, that's a terrible idea because if you do that, your partner's not going to do that thing that bothered you one time or 10 times or even a hundred times. They may do that thousands of times or hundreds of thousands of times over the course of the relationship. And you're going to be building up more and more levels of bitterness each time it happens and you don't address it. And so for me, I remember thinking, okay, you know what, even though I'm a therapist, I don't know everything there is about psychology. So let me go ahead and try this out for a little bit and see how this goes. And I remember thinking to myself, I'm going to try this experiment on Ruth and see what her response is going to be. Now, in this experiment, I had a little bit of a theory on how I thought it would go. I thought if I told her every time something bothered me, she was going to start feeling like I was kind of nitpicking her and that I was just poking at every single problem and I was being unfair to her. But I'm going to go forward with this experiment and see if my hypothesis was correct or incorrect. Now, the process of me shifting was very difficult, like I mentioned before. There are times when Ruth would do something minor that would kind of bother or irritate me, and I would have to have an argument with myself for five minutes in my head before I finally was able to bring it up to her. And I was thinking all kinds of things like, it's not a big deal, I don't want to bring it up and maybe have a fight with her about it or any number of challenges my mind would give me to not bring it up. But I had made this pact with myself where it's like, no, I'm going to do this. And so sometimes after five minutes, I'd say something to Ruth, hey, you said this, or you did this, or you made this facial expression, and it kind of bothered me when I was talking to you. And we would talk through these things, and sometimes it ended up escalating a little bit, but normally not very much. Normally she's just like, oh, okay, I'm sorry, and we'd move on our merry way. So after about two weeks, I decided to reveal that I was conducting this experiment on Ruth. By the way, wouldn't recommend doing experiments on your spouses. <laughs> this one ended up having a happy ending, but I wouldn't recommend it. But I basically asked you, I said, hey, I've been doing this experiment on you. Did you feel like I was being nitpicky with you? So when you revealed this to me, it was actually in the middle of a premarital session that we were doing with one of our friends that were about to get married. And so when he told me this, I had no idea. And I was like, what? Are you serious? And he asked me if I noticed if he was being nitpicky. And I told him that I did not notice it at all. 
But what I did notice is that I noticed in the last several weeks, he had been a lot more happy and joyful. And so going back to my original hypothesis, it ended up being disproven right there when Ruth said, no, I didn't notice you're being more nitpicky. What I think about that is that the reason why she didn't notice it is because the way I would bring it up was so non-aggressive, so gentle, because I hadn't let the emotions build up. As a matter of fact, I felt like not saying it because my emotions were so low about it. A little spike or spark of unpleasant emotions, but they weren't big, even to the degree where I had to do that five-minute argument with myself in my head. But then when I did tell her, she was responding very well. I think what happened is that you were telling me things right away when you're experiencing it and not allowing it to build up and bottle up like you typically had done at that time. And so when you were bringing it up, there were such small things to me that I didn't even really notice it. So that was the first thing that I'd kind of learned through this process was that if I was bringing it up early and often, I'd bring it up in a gentler way and I would get a much better response versus other times when I'd hold it in and then I'd bring it up, I'd bring it up in a less gentle way to be generous to myself and I'd get not as good a response. And so then the lesson I would learn was, see, I can't talk to you about anything. But that wasn't the truth is because I brought it up in a poor way because I sat on it for so long. So what I think was happening with the second part of the lesson of this experiment was that I was more joyful. And why was that? And the reason why I was more joyful was because I had nothing on my ledger left over. There was nothing that was unresolved. Every time she had done something that bothered me or hurt my feelings, got under my skin, I had brought it up and I had addressed it with her right then and there, or maybe five minutes later, but in relatively short order, and gotten it resolved. And the thing I learned is that when something bothers you or hurts you emotionally, just because you forget about maybe even that event or what your partner had done doesn't mean that your brain forgets about the emotions. And those emotions get stored up and stored up and stored up until you do something that's going to resolve those emotions. And so what I was doing to resolve those emotions during that two-week period was I was bringing up every problem that I was having with Ruth, and we were getting those resolved. And as a result, I didn't have this weight on my shoulders anymore of these thousand unresolved small irritants that I had. And now it's just free and clear, and I was feeling much lighter, and it was much more pleasant and easy to just enjoy her for who she was because there's nothing now between us because I had resolved everything with her. And when he asked me what my experience was with it, I wasn't trying to think of an answer that he wanted to hear. I genuinely, right off the bat, said that he was more joyful and happier because it was so evident to me. And I had no idea why, but at that point, I wasn't going to question it. I was just rolling with it and basking in that joy that he had. Now, if you want to go down this path, if you're a distancer and you want to recover from that, I want to give you a little bit of a roadmap of what it looked like for me. So that first two weeks was just the beginning point. So I'd say it took me about a month or maybe even two months where I was having those five-minute conversations with myself in my mind to be able to bring things up to Ruth. So then after that, it went down to maybe about a minute conversations that I was having with myself in my head. And so it dramatically reduced, but I was still having to have those. And then I remember the place I was at where... All of a sudden, it shifted from I'm having to have these conversations in my head about having the conversation to, oh my gosh, I can't not say this. There was one time where something happened between me and Ruth and the thought entered my mind to not say something. And it just felt so gross to me 
where it just felt like I can't, I can't hold that anymore. I was so used to just having this clear ledger all the time where I didn't have any backlogged, any unresolved things between me and Ruth, that this idea of now holding back from her and not saying something that bothered me and putting that burden back onto my shoulders just felt so awful. That's when I remember, okay, clearly this shift has happened in my mind where I am no longer a distancer, but I now pursue conflict in order to get this resolution to have this feeling of this clear ledger. So if you want to shift the direction of your tendency in the relationship, you absolutely can. But it is a large task and it takes a relatively long amount of time. If you're thinking this is something you can practice over the course of a week or two, it took me a year before I really shifted into this dynamic of I'm going to pursue these conflicts. I'm going to seek resolution to them because over that course of time, I really had learned and experienced, okay, we can talk about these things. We can work through them. And even if sometimes we end up with a pretty unpleasant conflict, I know that at the end, we'll still end up resolving it. And then I don't have to deal with holding on to that backlog. But the tricky part is you don't even realize you're holding on to all these emotions until you clear them off of your deck. Once they're cleared off your deck, then you really see and then you can compare how you're feeling now to how you're feeling before when you're holding on to all of these things. And as a pursuer, I know this sounds so silly because it's so basic, but what you need to do is stop pursuing and you need to be able to take a step back so that they have room to move forward when they're ready. And we're going to talk about this in a future episode about taking a pause or taking timeouts. But it's really important in this dance for you to take that step back because I know you want to solve the problem. I know you want to communicate with them and work through things. But what you're doing has the exact opposite effect. As you pursue, as you have the desire to work through these issues with them and you move forward, move forward, you're causing them to move further and further back and have more distance in your relationship. And then that causes more frustration and resentment in you. And so just like they need to move forward and that's their role, your role is to take a step back. And in addition to that, what we've already talked about is for you to be a safe place. And just like it took Tim a while to change his behaviors over time, it took me a while. And I feel like I'm still working on not being immediately defensive and being a safe place for him to be able to discuss things, to really validate and affirm him when he does bring things to light and share things with me. But like we were talking about before, where the whole purpose of this is to meet your spouse's needs, I know that pursuing him and continually wanting to talk about things when he needs a break is not a loving thing for me to do. So I really do need to love him in the way that he needs to be loved, not in a way that I think is the best for this situation or that I want him to be loved in this way. All right, guys, thanks so much for listening. We look forward to seeing you in the next one. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Mr. and Mrs. Therapy. If you enjoyed this podcast or found it helpful, we'd love for you to take some time and leave us a review on Apple Podcast. If you have a question or a topic you'd like discussed in future episodes, visit our Facebook group, Mr. and Mrs. Therapy Podcast, and let us know. Disclaimer, although we are mental health providers, this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to provide diagnosis or treatment. Please seek professional help if you're struggling with persistent mental health issues, chronic marital issues, or call the National Suicide Hotline at 988 if you are contemplating suicide.